All right, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. And uh, chapter 31, we have a little message here. Yeah, the little children are going to be going out at this time for their class with Mrs. Beebe and her helper tonight. Looks like Bella. Okay. Very good. Um... Yeah, one of the things that um, Shannon wrote on her little uh, form tonight for her graduation was you can accomplish more with God than you can think. And it's just really unlimited. That goes right into the message here. As we start in 2 Chronicles chapter 21 and verse, uh, I'm sorry, 31, 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and verse 21. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law, and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. He did it with all his heart and prospered. This is Hezekiah, verse 30, or 20. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. Now, God has been looking for a man like this earlier in the book. In 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So we see Hezekiah did it all with his heart and prospered because God is looking for men and women And the eyes of the Lord run throughout the whole earth, to and fro, and he's just looking for somebody who he can show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And he found such a person in Hezekiah. And maybe he could find such a person in this room tonight who would get our hearts right with God and do what we do with God and for God with all of our hearts. What a testimony. I thought about this verse as I was reading it a few weeks ago in my devotions, and I thought that would make a good graduate night message for all of us. Verse 21, And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, and in the law, and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. And so Hezekiah was like a one-man revival. He really was. What a testament. And I know, you know, as we said last Sunday morning, I know he stumbled a little bit at the end, but he got back up, finished strong. But his life was just walking with God with a perfect heart from his youth, from his youth and all the times he reigned as king over Judah. And so it's possible for a youth to decide, hey, I am going to do what I do for God with all my heart and uh, prosper. He did not have any kind of an advantage growing up. Uh, His dad was so bad. It says this about his dad, Ahaz. When Ahaz died... In Second Chronicles 28, 26 and 27 verses, 
Now the rest of his acts and all his ways, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they brought him not into the sepulcher of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. He was so bad, if you read his life, Ahaz, that when they buried him, they buried him in Jerusalem, but they didn't bury him with the kings, even though he was a king. Why? Because if you read the accounts, he was just so bad. He was so bad. And so Hezekiah had a bad dad. He had a bad dad, but he chose to be completely different than his father was. Sometimes people have to make that choice. If you have a good dad, wonderful. Uh, We're glad that you were blessed with that in your life. But not everybody had that, and Hezekiah did not have that. All the time he grew up, he saw his dad do evil from the start to the finish till his last breath. No repentance, no humility whatsoever. He was just a wicked Wicked man. But we don't have to be like our fathers. And uh, some people have to make that choice, difficult choice, because as we mentioned this morning, fathers can mean a lot to us. But it doesn't have to stop us. It doesn't have to be an excuse to keep us from serving the Lord with all of our heart, as we're going to see Hezekiah. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. we got to put Jesus before family. we got to put Jesus before our parents. And we got to put Jesus before our brothers and sisters, our family. And uh, some people never have to make that decision because their whole family is Christian. But that is extremely rare. That is extremely rare. And if you live in that where your whole family's for you and everybody's Christian, that's wonderful. Thank the Lord for it. You are the extreme exception. But most people who want to be disciples of Christ after they're saved, and they, they count the cost of discipleship, which means even giving up your father and mother if you have to, and your brothers and sisters if you have to, some people have to make that decision and uh, have to say, you know, my dad was bad. I am not going to be like him. And Hezekiah serves as a model for us, for youth. A model for youth to follow, uh, who said, I am not only going to be not like my dad, I am going to be so extremely different than my dad. And I think he was a good example of Ecclesiastes 12 and verse number 1. That verse says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So it's possible if you forget your Creator in your youth, the days will come down the road when you're older, when you say, I have no pleasure in life whatsoever because I left God behind. And you live with remorse. So wisdom is, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Not everybody does that, and we see that even on graduates' night, if you've been in this church for any length of time. 
And I've been doing this for 39 years, and we've had graduates nights maybe from the beginning. I don't remember when we started them. But boy, we've seen a lot of graduates just trickle out of here, leave. Uh, some very quickly, you never see them again. Others just trickle out slowly. And we like to call them maybe prodigal sons and daughters. But boy, you think after all this time, if there's no chastisement, they're not God's children. We need to reverse our prayers and start praying for their salvation. Because when I got away from the Lord, he beat the daylights out of me. I mean, over and over and over again. And I came back to the Lord. I remember at a missions conference, went to my brother George's apartment. After the missions conference, he was a Bible college student. And I wept for about two hours, wept and wept and wept in tears and repentance on my knees for the wickedness and the sin that I had gotten into. Now, we hardly see any tears today, ever, for anything. And this is why I think revival tarries. There's no tears. We don't have tears. We're not Christ-like. Christ had tears. Uh, He wept. He mourned. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept at the funeral of of, uh, the uh, uh, Lazarus. And uh, uh, he was uh, like, he was once compared to Jeremiah, who was the weeping prophet. And boy, if we have these dry eyes, man, there's not a lot going to happen. He that goeth forth with weeping. Bearing precious seed shall come again with rejoicing. We've got we to gotta figure out what happened to our hearts. What happened to our hearts. So Hezekiah is a model to young people that the home you grew up in does not have to keep you from serving the Lord with all your heart, with a perfect heart, the total opposite of your father, and boy, this, this one man brings a revival to Judah, the southern kingdom. One man. He brings a revival and it just catches on with a whole bunch of other people. And the Lord, as, as we said earlier, wants to show himself strong in the behalf of them who's perfect. His eyes are going to and fro. I just, I just need one man that's heart is perfect and, and that's enough for God to start a revival. If you can find one person whose heart is perfect, could start in your family. If one person, one boy, one girl, somebody in the family uh, got their heart right with God, like my cousin Gary did when he was in Vietnam, he started a revival in the coals. We were all lost. All of us were lost until Gary got saved. And Gary continues to this day. He's in his 70s. He's in Bowie, Maryland. He's a pastor of a church in Bowie, Maryland, Southern Baptist Church. And uh, going back to Vietnam till now, how many years is that? And he put his hands to the plow, never looked back. Thank God for one person in a family uh, who got saved and says, man, I got to. I got to do something here. My, my, my family's lost. I got to try to win some people to Christ. Boy, I'm sure glad he did. Hallelujah for that. Well, let's look at a few things here before we eat about him. His heart is perfect. And he begins to reign. And what is the very first thing he does? Look at chapter 29 and verse 3. 
He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. There's a good start. His dad had closed the place up and trashed the place. He did. Close it up, trash the place, took all this good stuff out of it. What did he do? Very first act. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. And then as you read down, he sanctified the priests and the Levites so that they could get the uh, filthiness out of the house of God. And uh, he did not neglect the house of the Lord. I think that's a good place for revival. I don't know. I was out of church for about three, three years. I never went to church at all uh, during that time. And man, as soon as I went to that missions conference and God revived me, man, I got back into church and I've been in there ever since. It's a good sign. You're here tonight, so I'm not going to preach to the choir but that's what he did first right there. First thing he did was he fixed up the house of God, and as you read down through it, it says he got the filthiness out of the Lord. Well, we can make a spiritual application and try to purify the house of God, get the filthiness out of our own hearts, our own minds, out of the church, and he's going to have quite a revival. Then he brings about the Old Testament sanctifying of the temple, and the atoning sacrifice for Israel in verses 16 through 24. Now, that's not part of our religion because Christ, our, our, our Passover is sacrificed for us. We don't need any more sacrifices, but they did. And so he stuck to the book of the faith that God had given them in the Old Testament through Moses. And he opens the house of God, repairs the doors, gets the filthiness out, and then he sanctifies the temple with an atoning sacrifice for all of Israel. And then they worship God in verses 25 through 28. And after they worship God, they begin to sing praises to the Lord. Now that's a good thing, boy. Worship is something that we need to get back to. And almost every time you read about worship in the Bible, it is people falling and bowing before God. And I think we need to worship first, and then praise comes as a result. Then we start singing and praising and thanking the Lord. But I want to encourage you to, pray, uh, to worship God. Worship God, not just at church. You know, people, you ask people, where do you worship? And they'll tell you what church. They say, no, we worship God everywhere. Yes, we worship God at the Faith Bible Baptist Church, 8688 South Main Street in Eden, New York. Sure. But that's not in the Bible. No, that's not in the Bible. You, well, you go to church and worship God. No, you worship God everywhere. Worship God everywhere. And uh, there's a lot to worship. Uh, man, you can, you can just, uh, I don't know if you ate today or not, but if you did, you ought to worship the Lord. He made it all. I was having pancakes this morning with real maple syrup. God made that. Amen? He made that, and it's unique to this part of the world. Maple syrup is unique to this part of the world here in the northeastern part of America and, and uh, Quebec and Canada. It's just, just unique. You, you look it up. It's the only place it's made. It's right around here. And I thank the Lord for it. 
The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the Bible says. And one guy was winging a hatchet at a tree one time. And he hit a maple tree. This was an Indian uh, uh, um, chieftain or something. And he was practicing. He hit the tree. And he saw a sap come out. And he tasted it. And there was a little bit of a sweet taste to it. And it went from there. And now we have maple syrup produced in this area of the world by the millions and millions of gallons. I was worshiping God for that this morning. Amen. I'm serious. Just he's, he, The Bible says Jesus made everything. You know that? That's what the Bible says. All things were made by him, and without him was not made anything that was made. Buttercups, hollyhocks, amen, geraniums. Jesus made all these flowers, all these gemstones. He made them all. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, made all these things, all the different stars. Jesus made it all. He ought to be worshipped. And so there is a reinstitution of worship right after a generation had just blasphemed God's house. Isn't that neat? Any generation can start over. Any people can say, hey, the last generation really blew it. We're going to get our hearts right with God, and we're going to tend the house of God and keep the house of God pure and, and uh, do things by the book. And so he did that, and then they started worshiping. They started singing. Immediately after that, verse 31, they started sacrificing and uh, giving uh, thanks to the Lord. And uh, it says in verse number 36, I like this. And Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. Isn't that neat? The thing was done suddenly. We have hope in this verse that we don't have to wait forever for a revival to come. But whenever people choose to get their hearts right with the Lord, their hearts right, not the outward, fundamentalists are experts at that. We can look great on the outside. But when we choose to get our hearts right with God, as, as we saw earlier, that that's the first thing Hezekiah did was he got his heart right. Then he opened the house of God up. And he opened up the doors of the house of God and cleaned out, fixed the doors, cleaned out the filthiness, re-implemented worship, singing, sacrificing, thanksgiving. And as a result, Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people and God prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. That gives us hope today. That gives us hope. We don't have to think, boy, if we start now, maybe 20 years from now, God will revive us. We can have a revival this summer. See God do wonderful things among us. Hezekiah rejoiced. He was the one that started this revival. His heart, and now he's got all the people. All the people. Well, now... That the house of God and the body of Christ, if we can call it that back then, is right with God. Now they got to get the message outside the walls of, let's call it the church. And so they begin evangelism in chapter 30. Okay, they've worked inside of the church now, chapters 29, and now they got to go outside of the church with the message. Now the message is the Passover for them. The message is the same for us, for our Passover is Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 30, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah. Now Israel was not his business. 
He was the king of Judah. But he didn't care. Everybody needs the Lord. So he's kind of like going outside of his country, if you will. And wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh and their way up north, and they, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover. So there's, the, there, there's Christ under the Lord God of Israel. And the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. We've, we've covered this story about a year ago uh, when we talked about soul winning in the Old Testament. And they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregations, so they established a decree, made a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that's a saying like from north to south, that they should come to keep the Passover of the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. Isn't that pathetic? I mean, that was the most important day in their history, the Passover, and they had neglected it completely in a long time. But Hezekiah, he's a one-man revival here. Um, and uh, he goes on, and so they established the decree, uh, and it's written, and boy, that must have been a lot of writing, so the posts went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, according to the commandment. And um, they go out. They go way up north. The posts. It's like the soul winners, the evangelists. And the message is, be not like your fathers. What a message. Verse 7. And like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their father, who therefore gave them up to desolation as you see now. Now, be not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary that you may be sanctified forever and serve the Lord your God and the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. There's good news. For if you turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion. That's good for your kids. Turn to the Lord before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again unto this land. That's a prophecy. For the Lord our God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So the post went out to all Ephraim, Ass, and Zebulon, and everybody just received them and embraced them. And verse 10 just told them how wonderful they were. Thank you for coming. We'll be there. That's what it says in verse 10, right? We'll be there. Hey, thanks for the invitation to the Passover. We haven't kept it in a long time, but boy, you guys got to us. We'll be there. No, that's not what verse um, 10 says. What does it say? But they laughed them to scorn and mock them. So things are no different now than they were then. And there's going to be some that laugh us to scorn or mock us if we go out. But notice what does happen because they didn't quit. Verse 11, Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. That's a long journey. They humbled them. Some did, diverse. That word diverse means many. All right, some laughed them to scorn. Can you imagine that? Just laughed them to scorn when they got there with the writings from the king. Say, hey, come to the Passover. We need to repent. We need to get right with God. 
They laughed him to scorn and mocked him, but others humbled themselves and came. And in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king of the princes by the word of the Lord. Boy, this is something else. Now, this thing gets so good that something so rare happens. And uh, in uh, chapter 30, um, we have the revival. And uh, I'm trying to think of the... uh, Got the wrong reference down here. Somewhere in this story... (laughs) It says they actually did something that you almost never read about in the Bible, ever. And that is they took away the high places. The high places. And um, thirty-one, one. Thank you, brother. That's what I got written down. Why don't I just read my notes? 31.1, okay, now... When all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim also and in Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. That is so rare right there. That is so rare. Most of the kings that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, it says, however, the high places they didn't touch them. You know what that's like today? That's like preaching against TV or preaching against sports, you know, or preaching against uh, whatever other high places we have. That's, you know, okay, we'll deal with all this, but I'm still going to keep this here, the high places. But not in Hezekiah's day. And so we see in conclusion here, they begin to give offerings, God began to bless them, and what a man, and all goes back to chapter number 31, and, and, or then it ends rather in chapter 31, verse 21, after I did not do a very good job tonight explaining all this revival that led up to the verse, our text verse, which is at the end of chapter 31, verse 21. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. And so to the graduates, just find out what God wants you to do with all your heart. Can you imagine the favor, the prosperity, spiritually speaking, that God would show to a young person today who served God with all of his heart? Because your generation doesn't want to. But boy, you'd stick out and God would notice you and God would bless you and God would say, I got a young lady here. I got a young man here uh, whose heart is perfect to me and they want to serve me and they want to put their whole heart into. Well, that is rare. And I believe that God would do the same thing for you as he did for Hezekiah, that he would prosper you, that he would prosper you. So forget about the world. Don't trickle away. Uh, it's, there's nothing out there. Uh, just, uh, 
you see him fall away all the time. But just, just determine like Hezekiah. I don't care what kind of a dad I had, how bad my country has become, how bad the temple's become. Um, I got one chance to live this life. And I'm going to, do, I'm going to serve God. And what a, what a hero Hezekiah is to us. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for this brief overview of your servant, Hezekiah. And uh, Lord, what a wonderful young man that he would do something like that uh, and, and take a, a country that was just in shambles spiritually. Disgusting. The temple was closed, boarded up. Doors were locked. And he, he opened it all up. And because one man, just one man, just one man, said, I'm going to do right no matter what anyone else does. You started a revival that took place suddenly among the people of God. And they were all rejoicing, singing, praising you, thanking you. And I imagine most of them thought this is the way it should be. And then they got out of the house of God. And they went out to the people with the message. And some laughed them to scorn and mocked them, but others repented and came. And I didn't read the verse, but it says there hadn't been a Passover like that in over 500 years. And uh, Lord, thank you for Hezekiah. May it be a challenge to the graduates, challenge to all of us, no matter what our age, that even tonight we could get our hearts right with God and you would look our way, prosper us and bless us. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's close the service and turn to page 816 and maybe you just want to come and pray tonight. How's your heart? Well, I'll tell you, things get into my heart sometimes. You know what? They're no good. You've got to come clean before God and say, forgive me, Lord, and help my heart, my motives to be right, the way I think towards different people. Uh, maybe I've had some bad feelings towards somebody and I just, just want to give that up tonight and be clean. What could God do among us suddenly? Suddenly. Isn't that a great story about Hezekiah?